Father, we ask that you would grace us with the presence of your Spirit so that your written word, this holy written word, this sacred word would be a living word for us and for the church and for the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was taught not to walk across people's lawns, but to always use a sidewalk. Anyone in that category? I was taught that if you borrowed something, you bring it back in as good or better condition than when you borrowed it. Anybody? Yeah. I was taught not to interrupt people in conversation. I was taught to look someone in the eye when I was talking to them. I was taught to speak up and not mumble. And when I say I was taught, I mean my parents drummed it into my head. They didn't just say it once. These, and I can't tell you how many times I was told to go back upstairs and come down. If you can't do it quietly, you're going to do it ten times. These and scores of other rules had to do with treating people and property with respect. If my parents had not insisted on these rules, I'm sure that I would not have learned them. See, people have to be taught to show respect. Don't they, Carol Knight? <laughs> Not that she doesn't show respect. I maybe should explain for our visitors. She's been a driving force behind just a concern and a resurgence for character development in our public schools. And she has been used by the Lord in a mighty way to help that happen. But people have to be taught to show respect. It has to be, it does have to be drummed into us by parents and by a surrounding culture that unanimously agrees with the importance of respect. Unfortunately, today, many of our parents and our current culture are not prioritizing these training lessons in respect which is not only a shame, but a danger to society on so many levels. But it has also become a problem in our postmodern Christianity and among Christians in our relationship with God. You see, if you haven't been taught to respect just in general, you won't know how to show reverence, which is the only proper attitude in our relationship with God. Reverence is respect on steroids. The dictionary defines reverence as a feeling or an attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. It's often accompanied by an outward manifestation or a gesture. Reverence is the feeling that stops you in your tracks when you are in the presence of someone whom you absolutely admire or to whom you owe a great debt of gratitude. It can also be a response to simply being in the presence of magnificence, something utterly beyond you in magnitude and splendor. A simple definition is respect... The clicker is not working. There we go. Reverence is the readiness to recognize and show 
that someone or something is way more important than you. It's the readiness you lead with this. It's the readiness to recognize that someone is way more important than you and to show that in the way that you behave. Now, that spirit of reverence has faded in our culture today. I'm hoping to convince you to begin recovering reverence in your relationship with God. But it has to do with things a lot different and deeper than some of the things I was taught about reverence when I was growing up. So let's explore what reverence looks like in Nehemiah chapter 8 where we can watch reverence in action. As I read this chapter, I was convicted by the reverence that the people showed in the way that they related to God. In fact, reverence is a main theme in the whole book of Nehemiah. Chapter 1 actually starts right out with Nehemiah's prayer, and that prayer ends with this request, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And that idea of revering the Lord, reverence, keeps showing up in the first chapters of this book. It's Now, let's remind ourselves of what this book is about. It's the record of how the broken walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt by the Jewish exiles who were allowed to return to their homeland after 70 years of captivity. It's an amazing story of the determination of Nehemiah and the people to complete this this major project in the face of opposition, ridicule, and even physical danger. In fact, we're told at one point the people had to work to rebuild the wall with tools in one hand and a sword in the other to defend themselves. But they were determined. And then once the wall was completed, the people then turned their attention on restoring and resettling their homes. And that now brings us up to chapter 8 and some incredible displays of reverence that we need to watch for our instruction. Here we go. Chapter 8, verse 1. It's not going to be up on the screen. I'm in the New International Version. If you don't have that copy, you, uh, that, that version, or if you don't have a Bible here with you today, it's in the, pew, or the seat in front of you. Chapter 8, verse 1. All the people assembled... By the way, the previous chapters let us know that that was about 42,000 people at this point. Not bad. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now that's kind of a summary statement of of what happened that day. The next verses that we get to, uh, Nehemiah is going to unpack that and kind of go step by step through what actually happened during those five hours from daybreak till noon. But in just these three verses, there are actually already several demonstrations of reverence in these verses, but they boil down, I think, to one major attitude. Reverence before God means you are eager to acknowledge God's standards and your own shortcomings. 
You see, here's what's going on. These people had all been exiles. They were the second and third generation of Israelites who had been raised in captivity, which was the result of their grandparents' failures to obey God. And so now, here they are, they're having this opportunity to return to their nation as free people. And so they certainly now want to live under God's blessing and not in his judgment as they had been as a nation. That, they understood, meant that they needed to know and to obey the terms of the covenant that God had made with his people. They needed to reconnect with that covenant. And so so they called this one remarkable national event where 42,000 citizens of Israel gathered together to ask for one thing. Read to us the book of the law of Moses. So that's exactly what happened. And they listened for five straight hours. They listened attentively, it tells us undoubtedly before they even began they knew they were going to hear things that would probably make them feel bad they they knew in advance they were going to be hearing things where they would see how they were falling short of God's covenant standards and that's exactly what happened as you're going to see in a few moments they wound up weeping in grief over what they heard nevertheless they asked for it you know give it to us straight We want to live under God's blessing. Tell us whatever we need to hear, good or bad, we're ready to receive it. That's reverence, you see. It's the recognition that God has the right to expect your obedience and to punish your disobedience. That's reverence. He's God, you see. He's got the right to expect our obedience and to punish us when we disobey. But boy, do those words sound harsh to our modern ears. We live in a culture that makes excuses for every shortcoming. Even heinous crimes are often being excused these days as we attempt to understand what societal ill caused the perpetrator to commit the crime. Yes, I know that he slashed the woman several times, but you've got to understand whatever, whatever, whatever. Bad behaviors are now called disorders. Blame is placed on anything but the person who committed the act. In such a cultural climate, people are conditioned to react negatively to anything or anyone who puts them in a position of having to accept blame for something. And so even our churches have become places in which it is strategically unwise to call people to account for their sins and face God's standards. That is, if you want them to come back. After all, we are told nobody wants to come to church to hear what they're doing wrong and how they're falling short. People expect. Actually, people demand to feel good. Help me feel better about myself. Encourage me with the promises of God's kindness and blessing no matter how I'm behaving. Tell me that he loves me. That's the hunger in this culture for a relationship with God. That's how it expresses itself. But a reverent person 
a person who recognizes that God is way more important than himself, acknowledges that God has the right to impose standards on people if they want to remain in his blessing, and they're eager, eager to hear those standards. A reverent person says, I am so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I need help to just remember your standards and seeing where I'm falling short. Search me, O God. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me on the path of everlasting life of of blessing with you. See, that's reverence. Inviting, welcoming, eagerly standing before God to be examined by his word like these people in Nehemiah begged for it. So we stand before the word of God and we hear the word of God say things like, forgive everyone no matter what they've done to you. That's the standard. No excuses. Give God what you owe him, a tithe of everything you have, because he's God. Seek the kingdom of God as your first priority that you seek even more than you seek food and clothing and shelter, because this is your obligation. There should be no divorce without cause that God condones. These are the things, and many other things, that a holy God has the right to say to us and impose on us as his standards, and a reverent person bows before those and acknowledges shortcomings, sin. Let's read on to see other demonstrations of reverence. Verse 4. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. That sounded like I know how to pronounce them, but that was just all pretend. And Ezra opened the book, and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and the people, all the people, lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, the Levites. Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Paliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Again, here's, now stop there, here's more evidence of reverence, but it all boils down to this. Reverence before God means you exalt his word. How did the people do that? Well, they, 
they clearly prepared themselves and the occasion for the awesome privilege of hearing God's word and they hungered for understanding God's word. Notice how everything about this event centered on the word of God. A high wooden platform was built for the occasion. And this moment of reading the book of the law was deemed so important that Ezra was flanked by specially selected men whose names were just recorded for posterity. There was such reverence for God and hearing his word that just opening the book alone and the prospect of hearing the word of God prompted the people to rise in honor of the word of God. And their sense of awe and the privilege also gave rise to three ceremonial gestures. They didn't just sit there in cerebral silence like we do on Sunday mornings. They lifted their hands. They vocalized their amens. Before they even heard the word, they were already saying, so be it, so be it. And then they bowed with their faces to the ground. See, coming into the presence of the Lord, who gives his word to his people, is to be regarded with such reverence, something never to be done lightly, that we're to be very conscious of how we should approach that moment. What can we bring to God in recognition of this privilege of having his word open before us? What can, and so that's, what, that's really what has given rise over the course of history to the special kinds of preparations that people have been expected to make before they even come into a sanctuary. Most of us, when we grew up, that did mean wearing a suit and tie. But a lot of the times what has happened over the years is those outward manifestations has actually overshadowed what true reverence is. So the point isn't so much exactly what you wear. In fact, I remember hearing when I first became pastor in Bowling Green, Kentucky and became part of the Kentucky-Tennessee Conference, I, I remember reading the minutes of annual conference meetings in the 40s and 50s where there were pastors who were... There was a visiting pastor from Canada who came to annual conference wearing a tie and he was sent packing because you don't wear a tie. That's worldly. See, things change. But what reverence means is that on the day that God's people are going to gather before him, and particularly because he is the God who speaks, the only God who speaks, we gather before him and honor him by listening to his word, that means that we prepare ourselves for that day in a special way. So we do get extra clean. We do press our clothes if it's not our custom to press our clothes. We do get our hearts ready. We do take special steps to make sure we are just within ourselves, within our own mind, within our own family, and as we come into the church, we are demonstrating this day and this moment is unlike any other day of the week. And we are anticipating a holy God through his spirit and word to speak to us. 
That's the spirit of the reverence that we're talking about. So you can take that and do something with that, but what it does mean is that you never roll out of bed and into church. I give, Margie and I give, online. We have found that to be a meaningful expression of our devotion to God because we are saying very intentionally it is the very first thing. But you know, I have missed and have actually felt bad about not having something to put in the offering plate because I do it that way. And I remember reading recently, a couple months ago, uh, an admonition in Scripture about never coming into the presence of God without an offering in your hand. So I'm, cha- I'm making amends. You know, even though we give online and we do, we, we do our regular tithing online like that, I've made a decision to demonstrate, you know, I'm going to still want to bring an offering with me. I'm still going to want to put something in the offering because I am coming into God's presence. And that act of bringing an offering in that moment is an act of reverence that I'm wanting to regain in my life. I've said this for many years. I don't know what else to do. We should be carrying our Bibles to church. Don't I sound like a Sunday school superintendent from the old days? You know, get your points for attendance and carrying your Bible. But there was a reason. Kids were taught to do that in the day where kids were taught respect. You bring the Word of God with you because it's such a high privilege to own one. Reverence means you exalt the Word of God by recognizing that privilege of having it and hearing it and not taking the privilege lightly. I have an author, a friend, written probably 75, 80 books, some of them bestsellers. She's traveled the world in the last few years doing research and writing stories about the persecuted church. A few years ago, she found her way deep into the secret house churches in China. And one night, she was brought into the kitchen of an elderly Chinese Christian woman who was so excited to have a Christian from America in her home. But Kay became puzzled when she saw this elderly woman pull out a sheet of paper and a pencil ready to write thinking that she was going to take notes from the conversation. Instead, this elderly woman said simply, we have no Bibles of our own. Our only hope is that we can hear it and get it down on paper. We have much of it, but we don't have Romans. Please begin. Kay was shocked. You want me to start quoting Romans? Yes, of course. You have your own Bible, don't you? The whole Bible, you have one, don't you? And the woman waited eagerly for Kay to begin, but when she hesitated and could not begin to quote the opening lines of Romans chapter 1, the old woman just looked her in the eyes, took her sheet of paper and her pencil, and with disbelief and disgust, she said, you don't know Romans. And she folded up the paper and walked away. You have nothing to tell me. Please don't hear this like a club beating you over the head. But many of us come to church to worship God week after week, not even bringing the one thing he has created for his people. 
the portal through which we encounter his presence, receive the food of his spirit, and and hear the guidelines of obedience and blessing. And we don't even bring it with us. Maybe on your phone, maybe on your iPad these days, or it may be bound in paper. But is that not an affront to the God who has given us life and promises through his holy word? So I say again something that I have said periodically for 10 years. Would you please consider doing that as an act of reverence? But the reverence of the Israelites did not stop with gestures of anticipation. They were hungry to understand it. They, they listened for five hours. Imagine the discomfort standing in the heat. Probably no shade. I had been working through Nehemiah the last uh, two or three weeks when we got to the worship service last week at Patriots Park. Some of you may have noticed that I chose to park myself right out in the blasting heat of the sun there for the entire service. I did it because I read this and I said, you know, those people could stand in the heat for five hours. I'm not going to get any brownie points from God, but I, I need to see whether or not I can wean myself from this cultural desire, expectation for comfort in the presence of the Lord and just see how I could handle the... Well, I, I, don't, I could not have gone five hours. <laughs> but these people, they, all they cared about, all they cared about was hearing the word and then understanding it. They sought clear interpretation. In our culture, too often we only care to understand something if it will help me get a better job or take me on the path of happiness. That was not the motive here. Help me understand what it says was the motive. The word of God is worth understanding no matter what the effort or discomfort or time it will take just because it is the word of God. Reverence before God means you exalt his word. Let's read on for two more quick elements of reverence. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And then all the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is a sacred day, God says. In my sight, this is a sacred day. And you almost get the sense here that God is being made joyful by a people who would be so reverent before him that they would be hungering for the word. And so he said, and so, you know, this is, this is a sacred day. This is a sacred moment that you're now creating here. And my joy in this is going to give you strength. Reverence before God means you govern your emotions by the truth of God's word. 
these humble people heard the word. They saw how far they and their predecessors had wandered from honoring or obeying the Lord, and they were deeply grieved as they remembered the wickedness of their past lives. We're going to say those words in just a moment in our communion liturgy. But in that moment, they were given permission by God to put off their grief and turn their hearts toward joy. And what did they do? They did that. I mean, how do you turn off the water pipes that quick? But they did. Because God said, no, I don't want you to grieve. It's not appropriate right now. Perhaps this is one of the most difficult and undertaught ways for us to show reverence before God. Our emotions tend to be governed by our circumstances, especially in this culture. We believe that emotions are natural, and, and if they're natural, then to express them is honest, and if they are natural and honest, then they are legitimate. We want everybody to validate our feelings, but reverence for God means you take control of your feelings, and you don't validate them if they're not appropriate in view of God's word. Because God's word is truth, your emotions are not. They may be real, but they're not true, necessarily. Your emotions tell you all sorts of things that must be denied in favor of what God has said. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or the clothes or your housing. God cares for lilies of the field and birds of the air, and he loves you more than these. Everything works together for good who love the Lord. We are way more than conquerors through him who loves us. Nothing's going to be able to separate us from his love. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Do not be anxious about anything. Pray with thanksgiving in all circumstances, and the peace of God will guard your heart. These and scores of other verses tell us to control our emotions and make them conform to the word of God. And yet our habit is to rehearse our circumstances to justify why I have reason and a right to feel the way I do. We always have reasons but we don't necessarily have the right to feel that way. Reverence before God means you govern your emotions by the truth of God's word. And one more way to show reverence. Reverence for God means you care for those who don't have the opportunities and resources you have. Look back at verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. And in verse 12, the people all went away to eat and drink and to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. And you see, the, some of the words that they had just gotten through understanding undoubtedly told them to care for the poor. This was not just a supplemental issue for God. It's central to who he is. It is not true that God helps them that helps themselves. I don't know if that came from Brendan Franklin or where it came from, but it didn't come from God. God helps those who can't help themselves. 
No matter how they've gotten into the situation, they're not being able to help themselves. That's what the whole year of Jubilee was all about. Ask no questions about how it is you lost your land. You get it back. Ask no questions about how you got into debt. You get your debt forgiven. That's God. It's not us. It's God. To feed the aliens among them. To not be tight-fisted about their possessions as they relate to people who are in tough circumstances. These people heard the word of the Lord and they immediately obeyed what they heard. See, if we really revere God, we will obey his clear word regarding special care and concern for people who have little opportunity for the resources we have. So you see, we can just take traditional views of reverence and make it an external, superficial thing. We can come to church dressed in our finest, singing our hearts out, going through all the right motions that appear like reverence, but the Lord is going to be saying to us, is not this the kind of devotion I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? God is making it explicitly clear. Reverence, worship of him involves that kind of stuff. Amen. Praise the Lord. I know many of you are Republicans. And ideologically, you want smaller government. I tend to align myself with Republicans as well, although any party, not just these days, but ever, doesn't even come close to the values of God's kingdom, really. But if you consider yourself to be a Republican who wants smaller government, as a Christian, that is only right if you have a commensurate desire to be part of churches with big hearts. Smaller government, then be part of churches with big hearts and generous actions for the poor. Because that's how it works, and it starts right here in our own congregation. There are people among us who go week after week with severe burdens and serious questions about how they're going to be able to afford food and pay bills. That's literally the case. This should not be. We should not tolerate this. We can do nothing about it as a church unless and until we collectively revere God, exalt his word, understand its clear meaning, humble ourselves before its demands, and respond. So when I grew up wearing a suit and talking in hushed tones in church, and that was passed off as evidence of reverence, there were things about that that was right, but it was the spirit behind that, not the law. Today, I urge you to recover reverence, true reverence, after the fashion of God's people in Nehemiah. Be eager to accept God's standards and acknowledge your shortcomings, which we're about to do. Greg, come on up. Exalt God's word in every way. Lift it high. Make it the center of the focus of your life and your relationship with God. Govern your emotions by the word of God and believe what he says, not even what your deepest emotion says, and show special care for those who lack basic provisions in life. May the Lord, may you, Lord, add your blessing to this exposition of your word. Amen.